What's up, everyone? Welcome. Welcome back to the Will Ford Show. I've got to apologize to you guys for two reasons. Number one, I promised you guys a once a week episode, and I didn't put one out last week. It's not a very good way to start off my my podcast by missing uh, a deadline after the first podcast. So I've got to be better than that. Uh, it's it's been an, a crazy week. I've I've had exam week at, at school, and it's last minute Christmas shopping. So it's it's been a busy busy week for me recently, and I apologize for that. That's not an excuse. I've got to be better. And I'm going to work a lot harder now to bring you guys an episode a week. And the second reason I got to apologize is because this is an accuracy podcast. I try to be as accurate as I can whenever I do these things. And I was inaccurate on two occasions a couple weeks ago. I made a, a mistake when I was talking about the college football playoff and talking about the reason Alabama got in. I said that Alabama got in like over a two-loss Georgia, even though Georgia got in, and that's totally wrong because Georgia's not a two-loss team. They were a one-loss conference champion, and I kind of messed up in how I explained it, so I'm going to explain it again to you guys. Alabama got in for the same reason this year Ohio State got in last year to the playoff. Alabama was a one-loss non-conference champ, and Ohio State was a two-loss conference champ this year. Last year, Ohio State was a one-loss non-conference champ and got in over Penn State, who was a two-loss conference champ. So I, I messed up going over that. I apologize for that. I got to be better. And then I also messed up again when I was talking about the Atlanta versus New Orleans game when I was recapping that game. And I told you guys that Atlanta came back and scored 20 unanswered in the second half. That I was totally wrong. It was tied 10 to 10 at halftime. And Atlanta scored 10 unanswered to win 20 to 17. So that's my fault. I don't know why I I thought it was 20 unanswered. Maybe that was just the way the game felt to me. But I apologize for that. I've got to do better research and, and better analysis. And I've got to I've got to cover this a lot better. So I, I apologize to you guys for those mistakes. So I apologize for both of those re- reasons. Uh, we've got a great show today. We're going to get this kicked off the right way. We've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. And we're going to start off with Kobe Bryant. Kobe had both of his jerseys retired by the Lakers a few days ago on Monday against the Golden State Warriors at halftime. They retired his number eight jersey, which he wore for the first 10 years of his career, and then number 24, which was what he wore when he finished his career, the last 10 years of his career. So a lot of people ask the question, which Kobe was better, number eight or number 24? Both players had very similar numbers over each 10-year span. The same amount scoring, around around 16,000 each. Uh, 
in, in similar shooting percentages, similar uh, defensive stats, things like that. But to me, the Kobe that I think was better was number 24, and here's why. Number 24 Kobe left a far greater impression on the league than number 8. Number 24 was a more prolific scorer, and he was statistically way better in the playoffs. And that can be due to having Shaq around during his number 8 years. That That's... The main reason why he wasn't as great in the playoffs. But number 24 was just, he had a killer mindset that just stone cold assassin. And he was a guy that you just, you just hated going up against night in and night out trying to defend him. Um, and number 24 was a tougher, tougher part of his career because he had to do it without as much help from guys like Shaq. And also, he had to deal with a lot more injuries. He said in his his uh, press conference before the the ceremony, before the game, that playing as number twenty four was a lot tougher. It was a lot tougher for him to get out of bed every morning to go play and to train and to compete night in and night out. And he dealt with so many injuries during the last five years of his career that. It just made things a lot harder to him. And he said that he gravitates to things that are tougher. So that's why he said number 24 is probably the best version of himself. And I I, I agree with him. I, I think number 24 is the best version of Kobe Bryant. Now this talk has brought up Kobe's all-time ranking. Where does he rank among the greatest players of all time? And so I've came up... I've come up with my own top 10 and we'll work from one down. And this is my opinion on who the top 10 NBA players of all time are. Michael Jordan at number one, no debate there. Everybody has Michael Jordan as their number one player uh, in NBA history. He's basically a better version of Kobe. He is the first version of that kind of player. Uh, he's six for six in the finals. Uh, he was just a, an assassin and intimidated people and was just so great. Kareem at number two, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was the greatest scorer of all time. And that is shown by his numbers being the, the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Number three, I've got Magic Johnson, greatest passer in our history. And he was the leader of Showtime in the 80s and 90s. Wilt Chamberlain at number four. Amazing player. His statistics were insane when he went up against guys like Bill Russell. He was just a freak of nature. And he was the only guy of his kind in the league at the time during the 60s. And then I have Kobe at number five. And I'll tell you who I have him ahead of. I have him ahead of Tim Duncan, although I think you can flip Kobe and Tim. It, they have had very similar careers. Both have five titles, an MVP, at least one MVP, several all-star appearances, great in the playoffs. They've had similar careers, so I can you can flip-flop those two, but I, I have Kobe at five. 
at seven, I have LeBron James, and I think a lot. I think I would get a lot of heat when if I told someone that. And the reason why I have LeBron at, at seven is because we've seen someone like him before, and that's Magic Johnson. He is very. He's a very similar player to Magic Johnson, and he he passes like Magic Johnson. He. Magic Johnson can score. Magic could shoot a little bit. LeBron's a better shooter, but Magic could shoot a little bit too. So they're very similar players. And the big difference between Magic and LeBron is that Magic knew how to win. LeBron's 3 and 5 in the NBA Finals. To me, you just you can't be one of the top 3 greatest players of all time if you've got 5 losses in the NBA Finals. You just you just can't. There's no way. Winning means a lot when you talk about the top ten greatest players of all time, and that's why LeBron is as low as he is in my book. It's just because he hasn't been able to beat teams in the finals. Number eight, I have Larry Bird because I think Larry Bird is the second greatest small forward of all time. LeBron is just LeBron's the most complete player the game's ever seen. And Larry was a tremendous shooter. He did everything well. He could pass, he could rebound, he could score, defend. But LeBron just did everything better. And they had the same amount of championships, and LeBron's been to the finals a few more times. So that's why I have LeBron ahead of Larry. The number nine, I have Shaq. The most dominating force the NBA has ever seen. And then number 10, Bill Russell. And I think a lot of people would would disagree with this too. But I think Bill Russell is actually overrated. Yes, he's got 11 championships. They say, well, he's got 11 championships. What do you mean he's overrated? He played on a team with seven other Hall of Famers. Bob Cousy, John Havlicek. And they, that team won 11 titles in 13 years. And it wasn't all because of Bill Russell. Bill Russell was a great player, don't get me wrong. But when he played, when he matched up against Will, Will absolutely dominated Bill Russell. It's not even close, those numbers. There were was, there was seasons where Will was averaging over 20 rebounds a game. It, his, and he's a great scorer because of his size. Bill Russell is an overrated player to me. But that's my top ten. I've got Kobe at number five. And people say that Kobe is the closest thing to Michael Jordan that we've ever seen. So why doesn't why isn't he number two all time? And I think the, the reason is... Is that Kobe is, is MJ Light? We've seen him before, and that's Michael Jordan. Kobe's the closest thing we've seen to MJ, and that's why he can be easily forgotten. Because whenever we see that kind of play, we think of Michael Jordan. Whenever we talk about that kind of play, we talk about Michael Jordan. When Kobe scored 60 points in his in his final game, we talked about him for a week, maybe two, after that game. 
and then he disappeared off the face of the earth. And we only talked about him every now and then, and then we're now talking about him again because of his jersey retirement. But by the end of that halftime ceremony, we're back to talking about Lonzo Ball and and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and and the Warriors and the Lakers. We're, we're not even talking about Kobe anymore. And I think it's because Kobe can easily be forgotten because he's a low-level guy. He kind of just keeps himself to himself. He's not really involved in basketball anymore. And since we've seen a player that was exactly like him but better before, that's why he can easily be forgotten. But Kobe is just a freak. He's my favorite player of all time. I grew up loving the Lakers and loving Kobe. And and I'm not putting him at five in my top ten as a as a bias towards him. I just objectively think that Kobe is one of the top five or six players of all time. All right, we're going to segue now. We're going to move on to the NFL. Big news. This is probably the biggest story in the NFL right now. Tom Brady's personal trainer, coach sort of guy, Alex Guerrero, has been banned from being involved with the Patriots in any way. So that means plane rides with the team, uh, being on the sidelines, stuff like that. He does have his own office on the team facilities, but he is only allowed to work with Tom and treat Tom. He is not allowed to interact with any other players. So, and this this is telling me a lot. He went to a school, Alex Guerrero did, that no longer exists, Samara University. He has He has methods that are unconventional. And a lot of trainers and doctors for the Patriots don't buy into his methods. There appears to be friction between, between Belichick and Brady at the moment. And you know what this is? This is, a, this is a guy, Alex Guerrero, this is a guy who gets some access to the team but then oversteps his boundaries. This is when that access can be revoked. And here's an example. Like eventually when you overstep your, your access too much, Steven Spielberg will say, enough, get off the set. Bill Belichick is saying, enough. Stay away from the facilities. Stay away from the team. Get off my grounds. I love Tom Brady. He's the greatest quarterback of all time, in my opinion. But, but Belichick is putting him in his place. Not the life coach slash guru slash trainer. He's putting Tom Brady in his place. These gurus latch on to famous and successful people and try to benefit from their success and cash in on a few paychecks. Belichick is telling this guy to you know, sit down, grab a beer, watch some TV or something because you're really wearing us out. These get to a point where they 
where these guys get to a point where they feel like they're really important. And when they begin to feel like they're really important to a guy's success, that's where they start to overstep their access. For example, they say, let me give you suggestions or let me do this or that or let me help you out. Nah, get me a coffee. I'm not interested in this. Belichick is telling Tom, my system is more important than the stars. My system is more important than, than you are. Belichick couldn't care less about what Tom Brady does. This, this situation proves that Belichick doesn't care about the individual players in his system. He just cares about the system. That's why their team is so great. Like, no individual part of that team is greater than the whole. This is the biggest story in the NFL. It's crazy. And it's really showing that Brady and, and Belichick's relationship is not as tight as what we may have thought. Alright, we're going to move on. During that Patriots-Steelers game last week... Jesse James caught a pass. This was on the Steelers' uh, final drive of the game to take the lead. Jesse James caught a pass at the goal line with about 30 seconds left. He fell while catching the ball and reached across the goal line and scored a go-ahead touchdown. Now, we all know that all scoring plays are reviewed. And they determined that Jesse James lost control of the ball when he hit the ground. This is where people can get confused with the rules. People say that Jesse James reaching across the goal line was a football move. But he didn't survive the ground. When he reached across the goal line, he hit the ground and the ball rolled in his hand. The ball hit the ground. Falling down is not a football move. Yes, he had a knee down, which equals two feet, but he didn't become a runner at any point. Once you become a runner, then you have possession. Then you can make a football move. That's when football moves count. But he never became a runner. He reached for the goal line and didn't survive the ground. It's not a catch. The NFL got this one right, according to the rule book. Now, the rules are very sketchy. They're very misleading. You can never really tell what's, what's what when it comes to this, kind, this catch, no catch rule. But according to the rules, the NFL made the correct call here. It's exactly like the Des Bryant catch from a couple years ago when the Cowboys played the Packers in the playoffs. Des hit the ground. Although we can't clearly see the ball hitting the ground, they said the ball hit the ground. His, his contact with the ground caused the ball to come loose, according to that rule, which wasn't actually in place yet, but they made a rule that said you got to survive the ground. It wasn't a catch. According to the rules, the NFL got this one right. 
but this is going to be talked about for a while because this this one kind of leaves a bad taste in Pittsburgh's mouth. Although they had plenty of chances, though, at the end of this game. They still had 30 seconds left on the clock. Plenty of time to call plays, figure out what plays they wanted to run during that review time. And they ran a play. They were down to about 10 seconds because it was inbounds. And instead of spiking the ball, the coaching staff told Ben to fake spike it and throw it into the end zone, try to catch New England off guard. It didn't really work because it turned into a forced pass by Big Ben. He panicked a little bit. It was tipped, and it was picked off in the end zone. Game over. So Pittsburgh fans shouldn't be saying that this Jesse James catch-no-catch was the reason why they lost the game. No, 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 no. You still had plenty of time. Big Ben, 14-year veteran, 13, 14 years, had a panic attack. Forced the ball to Eli Rogers of all receivers, who's 5'9", instead of having Martavis Bryant in there to throw to, who's a big target. Antonio Brown was out because he tore his calf earlier in the game. But you don't force the ball to Eli Rogers. That's the reason why you lost the game. So that's it's completely bogus when Pittsburgh Steelers fans try to say that that ruling lost them the game. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to move back to the NBA. And, you know, the, the NBA season is a, is a very long season. Reporters get very bored with it because they're just waiting for April for the playoffs to start. So this is where storylines come into play. They just try to make stories up and try to just to to get some kind of news out there just to keep things going. And one of the stories out there is that Giannis Antetokounmpo, small forward for the Milwaukee Bucks, is the is the next LeBron James. Hmm. Well, they are similar players. They've got a similar. They've got a similar play styles, but Giannis is not the next LeBron James. Giannis is in his fifth season this year. He's averaging 29 points per game, almost 30, over 10 rebounds, 10.6, and almost five assists. LeBron, in his fifth year was averaging exactly 30 points, almost 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. LeBron is clearly, like, Giannis is not the next LeBron James, according to these numbers, because they're not, they're not the same. The points are the same, he's a better rebounder, but passing, he's nowhere near as gifted as LeBron James. And, LeBron can actually shoot now. He's he's progressed as a shooter over the last couple years. And this is a shooting league now. Giannis can't shoot. He can't pass as well as LeBron. But he can rebound really well. And he gets to the hoop better than almost anybody. And he's a strong, physical freak like LeBron James. 
but he's not LeBron's heir apparent. Just stop it with that. He's a tremendous talent. I'm not hating on the kid. He's a tremendous talent. And he could honestly be an MVP in the next year or two. But we're never going to see another LeBron. This is exactly what all these NBA beat reporters try to do. Since it's such a long season, they're bored. They're just waiting for April. And they try to come up with these storylines. And they're saying Giannis isn't the next LeBron. Stop it. Absolutely not. We're never going to see another LeBron James. LeBron James is just such a freak. He's a better player than Magic Johnson. But all time, he's not better than Magic Johnson. Just because of that winning. And Magic is just a, a much better... It just He's just much... A much better leader, I think. I don't even know if that's the right... Forget I said that. That's That's not right. But... LeBron is just a freak. There's no debating that. Let's move on. Back to the NFL. We're kind of jumping back and forth today. Ezekiel Elliott is returning from his six-game suspension. He's going to return against the Seattle Seahawks. And I, honestly, I think he's going to be a workhorse when he comes back. I think he'll be extremely highly motivated and he'll be once again the driving force of the Dallas Cowboys while he was away he bet Eric Dickerson that he'd rush for 200 yards in his return game I don't I don't think he he'll have 200 yards because that's a really high stat but I think he'll have a very big day he's probably gonna get Upwards of 30 carries. And he'll probably finish with 150 plus yards. And I think. If he has that kind of day. Dallas will beat Seattle. And if they beat Seattle. They've got a real shot to make the playoffs. They need to win out. They need to win. Against Seattle and beat Philly. The last game of the year. They need Detroit to lose. At least one more of their games. And have two consecutive losses by either Atlanta, New Orleans, or Carolina. That sounds like that's a that is a lot for Dallas to get into the playoffs. But really, it's it's not all that far fetched. Dallas can easily beat Seattle, and they'll probably play an Eagles team the week after, who will be resting their players. So winning out. I don't think will be an issue. Detroit can easily lose one of their next two games to either Green Bay or Cincinnati. Green Bay won't have Aaron Rodgers, but they can still lose. And Atlanta has the best shot of losing their next two games. They play New Orleans and Carolina. They beat New Orleans earlier in the year, but New Orleans didn't play all that well. And New Orleans is a better team. I think New Orleans and Carolina will beat Atlanta. Atlanta will be knocked out of the playoffs and the Cowboys will get in. Assuming that Detroit loses one and the Cowboys went out. So getting Zeke back is just is so crucial because they met their goal at 3 and 3 and 3 was the magic number for them to be without Zeke and they did it. 
they reached that goal. They did it the hard way. They had to win three in a row. Started off 0-3, but they did it. And they have a real shot to make the playoffs now. It would have been much better for them to be 4-2. But, hey, you take what you can get. And speaking of the Falcons, and specifically Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan to me is an overrated quarterback. He had a great year last year, tremendous year last year. He was deservably the MVP last year. But this year, extremely inconsistent. And I think he's a major beneficiary of the weapons he has around him. Julio Jones, Devontae Freeman, Mohamed Sanu, Tevin Coleman. And, he, and they have a good defense too. I think he's a B to B minus quarterback. He doesn't have great size. His arm talent is average. His poor mobility. His pocket presence is okay. And he's not very accurate. It just his his inconsistency has proven that he's not very in, he's not very accurate this year. How do you miss a target like Julio Jones? To me, Dak Prescott is a better quarterback than Matt Ryan. Dak has great size. He's a he's six two and he's got a big thick body. He's got a great arm. One of the most mobile quarterbacks in the league. Tremendous pocket presence. And he's far more accurate than Matt Ryan. He is better than Matt Ryan in all five of those areas. Matt Ryan to me is just overrated. He had a great year that last year, and he's a, he's an okay player. But people need to jump off that Matt Ryan train because I just don't think he is as good as what people say he is. We're going to go back to Seattle now. We're going to segue over to Seattle. And... There's a lot of there's a lot of culture issues going on inside that locker room. A lot of controversy. When you guys when you have guys like Michael Bennett and Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Sheldon Richardson on your team, very opinionated, very political guys, there's bound to be a lot of friction. The locker room has divided into cliques, and it's negatively affecting the team because they're losing. If the team was winning, we wouldn't be talking about this at all. This wouldn't even be a story. This never would have broke. But they are losing, which is a problem. Right now, the Seahawks Super Bowl window is rapidly closing. They have an aging defense and a Russell Wilson-centric offense. With There's basically no other elite talent on offense other than maybe Doug Baldwin and Jimmy Graham. And they only have $16 million in cap space to work with. It's time for them to retool, clear some cap, trade some players off. 
and maybe have a little mini rebuild for a year. The Rams, the, the Los Angeles Rams and the San Francisco 49ers are now real threats in that division. The Rams have a, a tremendous roster all around. Special teams, offensively, defensively. A, an amazing head coach in Sean McVay, who is a terrific young offensive mind. And have over $50 million in cap space next year. This team is already great, but they can be even better. And the 49ers, they landed a gem in Jimmy Garoppolo. They have a great coach by the name of Kyle Shanahan, who's another terrific offensive mind. And they have over $116 million in cap. That team is going to be flipped around from a three or four win team this year to possibly a division winner next year. The Rams and the 49ers will be real threats in the NFC for the next seven or eight years. And right now, it's not looking too good for Seattle. We're going to segue now back over to the NBA. We're going to talk about Lonzo Ball. And I think people are really jumping the gun on this whole Lonzo is a bust narrative. And we're, we're barely 30 games into the season. He's absolutely not a bust. First month of his career, not too good. His shooting percentage was very, very poor. But he was able to show you that his pass, he, he was a tremendous passer right out of the gate. But he's marginally progressed as each month has went by during this season. His field goal percentage has gone up uh, at a steady pace as each month goes by, along with his three-point field goal percentage. And I think the reason for this, this kind of growth month to month, is because he wasn't adapted to the speed of the game yet. He played college basketball for one year, dominated, and then you make a jump to the NBA. He just wasn't ready. But now he's looking more confident and he's becoming more acclimated to the speed of the game. And he doesn't turn the ball over at all. And he's very aware of the clock. Does a great job of getting guys involved. He's a little too passive with his shot. But that's just a DNA kind of thing because he loves to pass. He loves to get guys involved. And he's not selfish enough. And he kind of seems to zone out every now and then on the offensive end in terms of shooting the ball. And he's really elevated the play of the rest of the young players on the Lakers, like Larry Nance. Larry Nance is much more involved now because Lonzo is able to throw high lobs to him to dunk. Uh, Larry Nance is a tremendous energy guy that can just come in and pick a team up right away because of his leaping ability and his ability to put back uh, – for putback dunks. He's elevated the play of Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram has become more aggressive because Lonzo puts him in positions 
to be aggressive. And the Lakers may not be winning that many games this year, but they look really, really competitive. They've pushed the Warriors to overtime twice. They played the Cleveland Cavaliers really close, and they beat the Houston Rockets last night. They missed 16 free throws. They're the worst free throw shooting team in the league, but they missed 16 free throws. The Lakers won by, I think, six. You add 16 points, that game is not even close. And James Harden scored 51 points. This team looks really good. Their record may not show it, but they're very, very competitive. And I think it's because of Lonzo's impact. Guys just like to play with an unselfish player. And Lonzo really elevates the play of other guys. Kyle Kuzma has looked like the steal of the draft. Lonzo has really put him in positions to be successful. But Kyle Kuzma is also putting himself in situations to be successful. Kyle Kuzma is 22 years old. He is an NBA-ready body. It didn't take long for him to adjust to the speed of the game. He is a way more mature player than, than guys like Lonzo and Brandon Ingram. But the Lakers look really, really good this year. And they've got a bright future. And it's all because of Lonzo's impact on the team. He may not be putting up great scoring numbers. But his unselfishness and just his overall impact with passing is the reason why they're this good. And that might be able to lure some free agents next year. Maybe a max guy like a Paul George. And this perfectly segues into our next segment here. The Oklahoma City Thunder are headed towards a very ugly divorce after just one season of playing together. Meaning Paul George, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony. They're a horribly inconsistent team And Paul George and Melo have played horrendous this year. A a team can't function when you have three ball-centric guys on your team. It just doesn't work that way. That's why they're very inconsistent and they've only had a few nights where they've all three played really well. And right now... There's no trade in Carmelo Anthony. There's no market for Carmelo Anthony because of his age. He's not getting any younger. Still a great player, but he's not getting any younger. But I think the Thunder need to find a way to either lock up Paul George, which I don't think is going to happen. Or they need to trade him and get some kind of value for him before he walks away in free agency after the season. They need to find a market for him. Because he's going to leave after this year if they don't turn it around in any way. And he's going to go to the Lakers. OKC needs to trade him now to get some kind of value instead of just letting him walk for nothing. If he walks, Oklahoma City basically traded some nice pieces in Victor Oladipo and Demonis Bonus. 
for a one-year rental superstar. And this, this situation proves exactly that Russell Westbrook can't play with other superstars. He couldn't do it with Kevin Durant uh, later in Kevin Durant's tenure with the team. And he can't do it right now with Melo and Paul George. And it's because he's a very ball-centric guy. Like, you think he's a very willing passer because he gets all these assists. No. I, I, I think the reason why he, he... He loves the ball. He needs the ball in, the, in his hands to work. He doesn't work well without it. And his stats are kind of inflated because I think he tries to pad his stats for triple-doubles. He shouldn't have been the MVP last year. He was the most outstanding player last year. When you have 41 triple-doubles, that's that's incredible. But he was padding his stats. And it's statistically proven because he contested the, like, I think it was one of the least amount of three-point shots. Like, he, he contested the least amount, I think it was, or somewhere around. He contested less than DeAndre Jordan. And he's a seven-footer. That just tells me you're padding your stats for boards. Russell Westbrook can't play with other superstars. And that's why they're headed towards an, a very ugly divorce. We're going to move back to the NFL. The Packers placed Aaron Rodgers back on the injured reserve after being eliminated from the playoffs after losing to the Carolina Panthers this past week. And a lot of people are asking, did the Packers mishandle Aaron Rodgers? Not at all. I don't think they did at all. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They waited until he was cleared to play. They were still alive for the playoffs when he was able to come back. And they lost. Plain and simple. Sometimes it just doesn't go your way. Aaron Rodgers gives the Packers the best chance to win every game. And he was a little rusty because he hadn't played in seven weeks. And they got beat by a team that was just simply better. The Packers did everything right. People will say, oh, well, you should have kept Rodgers off the IR so he could have played earlier and maybe you could have won out and he could have worn off that rust earlier. No. The reality is the Packers probably, probably wouldn't have made the playoffs anyways and you run the risk of Rodgers getting hurt again if you rush him back. But then people will say, well, if he would have lost anyways, then why bring him back once he was cleared? Uh, hello? Because he gives the Packers the best chance to win? He gives that, that team the best chance to win every week. He's the most talented quarterback in the league right now. It's crazy to say you're not going to play Aaron Rodgers 
if you have a chance to make the playoffs and you get Aaron Rodgers back, absolutely you play him. He's a much better player than Brett Hundley. But right now, the Packers are making the right move by sitting him for the rest of the year now because you what's the point? You're not making the playoffs. You got nothing to play for. Let Aaron Rodgers get, you know, fully rested and healthy. Because odds are he probably wasn't completely healed when he play that, played in that game. Bringing him back earlier is extremely risky. It's the same thing that happened to Tony Romo a few years ago when he broke his collarbone. He kind of came back a little early. He was cleared, but he came back maybe a, little, a week too early. Was a little rusty against Miami, but still played okay. They won. Played against Carolina, got dropped onto his collarbone again, and he broke it. The, uh, the Packers did the right thing with Rodgers, bringing him back once he was cleared, and then giving it one last shot to see if you can make the playoffs. It just didn't go their way. People are going to try to rip this any way possible. They're going to look at it from every angle and just try to destroy it. The Packers did everything right. All right, we're going to finish off the show this week with a new segment. We're going to do this once a week now until, well, actually, if this was earlier in the season, this would be great, but we only have two more weeks to do this. This is the Ford Food Chain. And this is where I list the top 10 teams in the NFL at this particular moment. Number 10, the Baltimore Ravens. They have a tremendous defense, an offense that is not very great, but they they hang in games because of their defense. And they always give the New England Patriots trouble in the playoffs when they play against them at Gillette Stadium. It's just a fact. Joe Flacco's play seems to elevate whenever he plays against Tom Brady. Number nine, the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys might be the healthiest team right now. They're getting everybody back healthy. Tyron Smith is back. Sean Lee is back. Ezekiel Elliott's coming back. And they have a real shot to make the playoffs now. This is a tremendous team. And they can, if they win out and everything goes their way, they can be a legitimate threat in the playoffs and could possibly make the Super Bowl. Number eight, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their defense is the clear-cut best defense in the league. No question about it. Their secondary, A.J. Boye, Barry Church, and Jalen Ramsey, it, it's just phenomenal. And their run defense is really solid too. Blake Bortles has proven himself to be more, a little more than a game manager. He is actually very accurate. And they have a tremendous running game in Leonard Fournette. They're, they're kind of doing the same thing that Dallas is doing with Dak Prescott. Establishing the run, being a run-first team, and then asking Blake Bortles to throw when called upon, throw accurate balls, nothing too deep down the field, short to medium routes. And it's working well for them. They're ten and four, and they're likely gonna. They'll they'll they will win their division, and they can make some noise in the playoffs. 
Number seven, the Carolina Panthers. Carolina has been a little inconsistent this year, mostly Cam Newton. But their defense is tremendous. And offensively, when they're on, you can't stop them. They're, they're a real threat in the NFC, and the NFC is just loaded this year. Number six, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Pittsburgh has lost a lot defensively. They're not as great defensively anymore. They lost the game they should have won against New England. Antonio Brown is out for a few weeks. They, If they would have won and Antonio Brown would still be healthy, they'd probably be a top-four team. But losing those players, they're going to be a little off for the next couple weeks. And when they come back, they'll likely make it to the AFC Championship. Number five, the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia has been just fine without Carson Wentz for these last couple weeks. Nick Foles has proven, he's proven before that he is a really good quarterback. He's a very high-end backup. And honestly, it, it could start for a lot of teams in the league. And they're very well-rounded on defense. Offensively, they're missing their left tackle, Jason Peters, and I think that's going to be their downfall in the end. I don't think this team is a Super Bowl team anymore without Carson Wentz. And I just I think Nick Foles will eventually crumble once the playoffs come around. Number four, and the top four teams are my teams that I think are the top, obviously they're the top four, but like the teams that are Super Bowl favorites right now. Number four, the New Orleans Saints. What they're doing with the running game this year is tremendous. They have Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, and they use those backs very heavily, and they're both extremely productive. They're asking Drew Brees to play second fiddle, throw a little less, and kind of conserve his arm, and he only throws when he needs to. And it's worked really well. Their defense is much improved. Marshall Lattimore is a tremendous talent. He's probably one of the top cornerbacks in the league. And he's only a rookie. This team is great. And honestly, I can see this team making it to the Super Bowl. They're probably one of my top teams in the NFC. Number three, the Los Angeles Rams. I think the Los Angeles Rams are even better than the New Orleans Saints. They have a terrific front seven. Todd Gurley is easily one of the top three most talented running backs in the league. And Jared Goff has really progressed over the last year. Sean McVay has done so much with this team. And their Super Bowl threats probably more so than the New Orleans Saints. Number two, the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota has got a better defense than New Orleans and uh, Los Angeles. And their offense is very similar to that of New Orleans. They have two running backs that they use heavily and are extremely effective in Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray. Latavius is more of their running back and Jarek McKinnon is more of their passing back. 
but they've utilized the run very well. They're asking Case Keenum to play within himself. He has got great chemistry with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. And Case Keenum is, is exactly kind of like a Nick Foles. And he's a very, very high-end backup, probably the best backup quarterback in the league. But he can I think he's better than that. He is a I think he's a mid like kind of that mid-level quarterback, starting quarterback in this league. And I think the Vikings can win the Super Bowl with Case Keenum as their starting quarterback. And I think Case Keenum is probably just as good as Teddy Bridgewater. We don't know what Teddy Bridgewater is anymore because he hasn't played in two years. This team is amazing. And I, I like I think they are the team to beat in the NFC. And them along with Los Angeles and the Saints, those three teams I think are gonna battle it out for who's gonna represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And number one, no surprise, is the New England New England Patriots. Tom Brady at 40 years old is doing everything that he's been doing his whole career. The Patriots system has been what it's been for the last 15 years. They're just so great. Their defense has no big names on it besides Malcolm Butler. A lot of guys are hurt. And they're playing with guys that probably wouldn't start on a lot of teams. So what they're doing is, is just tremendous. And they're the favorite in the AFC every year to win the Super Bowl. And they're they're the best team in the league right now. Bill Belichick is the best coach. Tom Brady is the best quarterback. Plain and simple. That was the Ford food chain. All right, guys, that's my show. I promise you guys I'm going to be more consistent in getting one of these out a week. I'll try to shoot for like dead on a week. If you guys enjoyed the show, please give it a like, subscribe, and follow me on SoundCloud. Tell your friends about it. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Will Ford Show.